So if you saw on your insert what we're talking about, we're talking about parties today. How's that sound? Not maybe your usual uh, Sunday morning sermon content, but it should be fun, I think. Does anybody like parties? Any, if you're a party pooper, you don't have to raise your hand. That's fine. I'm not going not gonna to point you out. But I love parties. I love all kinds of parties. There's a lot of reasons to throw a party. You know, you got birthdays, housewarmings. Sometimes people just like throwing parties, so they throw them anyway. You have, what, 10 or 12 different holidays that we throw parties on? You know, Christmas, New Year's, Fourth of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day. After that, it's just because you want to. You know, I've even gone to a couple of co-ed baby showers. Any guys with me on that one? No, no. Okay, Rod, there, thank you. It's not my usual scene. Because uh, it, it was co-ed, I think they made the guys do all of the party games, which was not my favorite thing in the world, like the, the balloon under your shirt and tie your shoes type of thing. Like, I can't touch my toes when I don't have a balloon under my shirt, so that was difficult. But the food was good, so, so there was that. And then, of course, we have weddings. Everybody loves a good wedding, right? It's got the, the perfect range of emotions for you. You tear up at the appropriate times. You laugh and smile at other times. Everybody's happy. Everybody's dressed well. You get to celebrate something fun. You might meet a new friend or see people that you haven't seen in a while, family, friends. All types of good things that go on in it. You eat good food. Everybody loves that. And then, of course, there's dancing. Dancing. That's a good part right there, right? That lady's getting it. I love that picture. She is getting it right there. At one time in my life, I had a slight reputation as somebody who danced quite a bit at weddings. Just a slight uh, it was based on enthusiasm, not technical skill, so that should be thrown out there. I'm not a technically good dancer, but I make up for it with enthusiasm. I'll give you an example. Uh, a couple of years ago, my friends Michael and Asha got married, and Asha's Indian, and so two things were really good, the food and the dancing. I didn't know this going in, but Indian families dance ridiculously ridiculously long amounts of time. I mean, long amounts of time, hours. And it's not just the young people that dance for two or three hours. Everyone in her family was out there dancing the entire time for several hours. Basically, the only way that you were allowed to not be dancing was if you were over 85 or you had a doctor's excuse because you just had surgery. Every other person was out there for hours. So, of course, I felt this pressure, this self-imposed pressure to step up my dancing game. Because I figure if I got to, like these 75-year-olds are doing better than I am, I got to do something here, right? So I'm dancing. One of my friends, Christian, he has a similar enthusiasm as I do. And we like to play off of each other a little bit. So the song Don't Stop Believing comes on. Now, I happen to think that 80s songs are probably the worst for dancing to. Sorry if you grew up in that era and it's just like your sweet spot. But I don't know what I'm supposed to do to it other than air guitar. That's all that I know. 
And so I do that. I, I do air guitar during those songs. So that comes on. Christian and I make eye contact. We know what's going to happen. It comes up to the, the guitar solo in the middle of Don't Stop Believing. And we, I motion to him. He scoots back. I scoot back. We clear the floor between us. I do a stutter step run, slide on that smooth wooden floor on my knees, bending backwards, doing air guitar, slide under his legs, jump up after I clear him, and come down hard on it. Well, what I heard, which no one else heard when I came down, was a rip. (laughs) Immediately, I heard a rip. So here I am, just brought all the attention to myself, and I'm worried that my pants are open. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like trying to nonchalantly like dance while I'm like, what's going on? How awkward is this going to be when I realize where it's ripped? (laughs) Trying to figure it out for the next couple of minutes. Finally, I figured out where it was. It was in a small spot that no one would have noticed. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. And I was able to continue with my enthusiastic dancing, albeit at a slightly less enthusiastic rate after that part. I, uh, like I said, enthusiasm, not technical skill, just to specify what I'm good at. Where am I going with this, other than just telling you an embarrassing story about my life? Parties. Parties, I think, are something that we all love. We have differing opinions on how big of a party that we want to go to, how many people we want to see, but we all enjoy celebrating. So think about this idea for a minute. What if I told you that a part of following Jesus, of being a Christian, was throwing parties? That that was a requirement for following Jesus? What if I said that at Rob's 101 class this afternoon, any of you who aren't members here, that one of the things he was going to tell you was that you had to throw a certain number of parties a year in order to be a member here at Vineyard Hopkinton. What would you think about that? Rob likes it. It might get added today, guys. What if we valued the kind of gift of celebrating, of party throwing, on the same level that we value other gifts, like Uh, working with kids in kids' ministry, running the soundboard, or brewing coffee. Don't act like that's not something we value. I know how much coffee we go through on a regular Sunday. What if we valued celebrating in that same way? Here's my thought. I think that the church has unfortunately, in some ways, kind of demoted celebrating to a lower level than we should have. We've kind of forgotten about the power that's behind it. And I think there's an invitation for us to pick that back up, to learn how to celebrate well, to learn what to celebrate well, to party together well. And I think Jesus is calling us to that. I think he's inviting us to do that. And I think that that's pretty obvious if you read the Gospels. Look at what Jesus does. Look at how many times he parties. Because Jesus loved parties. Like all of the Gospels are filled with stories of Jesus going to parties. He goes to dinner parties. He goes to week-long wedding parties. He goes to short parties. He goes to parties at people's houses, parties at uh, people's houses that he knows, parties at people's houses that he doesn't know. 
He goes all over the place to all kinds of parties. He celebrates constantly. I don't know if if you were to close your eyes, you don't necessarily need to do that. I might think you're sleeping. But if you were to close your eyes and picture what Jesus looks like, if you can't picture Jesus with a smile on his face or laughing, then you might need to reread the Bible, reimagine who Jesus is, because I think that that's an intricate part of his personality, of who he was. He was invited to so many parties that he must have been a blast to have at parties. He was a fun guy to have around. And his first miracle in John 2, 2 tells us about that. So if you have your Bible and you want to open up there, we're going to be in John 2, 2 to start off. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some on the sides and in the back. Feel free to jump up and grab one of those. But this is Jesus' first miracle that he ever does. And this is how he decides to start off with it. John 2, 2 through 10. Here's what it says. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Side note, that's not as rude as it sounds in English. Uh, it was actually uh, kind of, uh, in the original language, it was an endearing term. In English, it sounds like he's being rude to his mom. But, <laughs> oh well, translation difficulties. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water, jar, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best until now. I think it's important to recognize that this is Jesus' first miracle that he ever does. He even thinks that it's slightly too early to be doing stuff. He kind of argues with his mom, saying, I don't think this is how I'm supposed to come out. But obviously it was what God had for him. This was the first miracle that he did. He's just hanging out at this wedding, enjoying himself. He's not even kind of known as Jesus, you know, in the way that we think of him at this point. He's just a guy who's a friend or a family member of whoever's getting married. And his mom comes up to him and says, we're out of wine. And he acts. He doesn't tell her, well, so what? It's not my issue. I don't know what you expect me to do about it. He doesn't say, good, well, then this party can be done with, and I can go about doing other more important things. He says, okay. And he takes 120 gallons or more, it may have been 180 gallons of water, and he turns it into wine. He keeps a wedding feast going. This was probably in the middle of the week. Wedding feasts back then were seven-day affairs. You think five-hour weddings are bad. Seven days that they were all together. He goes in the middle of it, and he makes enough wine to last him another three or four days. He keeps the party going at a tremendous pace, and on top of that, he does it with the good stuff. He doesn't just make the $3 bottle of wine. He makes the $25, the $30 bottle of wine, because that's the highest that I would ever spend on wine. 
he makes the good stuff and he makes 120 gallons of the good stuff a ridiculous amount if i told you that i had 120 gallons of water in the barn and that i was going to go out this afternoon and pray for god to turn it into wine because i wanted to throw a party you would all probably call rod rob sorry or sarah my wife and say we need to schedule an intervention Stephen's drinking way too much. That is unnecessary for any party. But in this miracle, in a kind of odd miracle, I think we start to see something really important about who Jesus is. He shows us just how generous and extravagant and gracious that he actually is. And he begins to reveal to us what it looks like to be followers of him how we're supposed to act, what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, that we're supposed to be people who celebrate well, who keep parties going, not who stop them. And I think he begins to open the door to show us what celebration's kind of all about. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of this morning, what celebration does, what it brings to our life, why it's an important thing that we do. I think celebration grounds us to the reality of who God is, that he's generous, that he's loving, and that he's good, that it reminds us of what God has done, and that it leads us to further realizations of what God's going to do in our world. Alan Hirsch is a pastor and author, and he said once that party is sacraments. And I think that that's really good. What he's saying there is that party is on the same level as communion and baptism, that there's something sacred that happens in the middle of it when we're celebrating who Jesus is and what he's done, that something powerful happens. There's something sacred about celebration. So what, what do we see in the Bible? Well, first we see that we celebrate as a response to what God has done. Luke 15, you can open up your Bible if you want to to that. You can flip to that. But in it, Jesus tells us these three stories of people finding things that are lost. Uh, Sheep, some money, and his son. And he tells us about the reaction that these people have to finding those lost things. Here's what it says, Luke 15, 6. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost sheep. Verse 9, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And then 22 to 24. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. In each instance, what do you notice about how these people respond to finding something valuable to them, to having it returned to them? Their immediate response is to go invite all their friends over and to celebrate the good thing that God had just done in their lives, what God had just returned back to them, what they thought they had completely lost. Their immediate response, Jesus tells us. Jesus is encouraging us to pay attention to what God's doing. And when we see him move, 
I think kind of our usual MO is to give a quick thank you, Jesus, and then to move on. And Jesus is saying, when God does something important in your life, when he acts in a way that you've been asking him to act, don't just let it pass you by. Stop. Celebrate it and invite other people to celebrate it with you. Invite other people into your joy at seeing God act in this powerful way for this thing that you've been asking for. Don't just let it pass you by, but make it a moment that you return back to. What types of things has God done in your life? How have you seen him move? Have you seen God heal you or somebody you love? Has there been something that you lost that was returned back to you? Maybe one, something with a relationship that came back, like the father at the end. Has God restored things in your life? Has he provided for you in generous and kind of unexpected ways? Has he moved in, in difficult situations? Don't forget what God's done, but keep celebrating it. In uh, Jewish culture, they celebrate seven feasts every year. And five of those feasts their, their entire purpose, and they do this every year, is to remember what it is that God has done. Five times a year, they come together and they celebrate how God has moved. And I think that we, unfortunately, have forgotten some of that. We've lost some of that ability to look back and to remember and to kind of make it a marker in our year that this is something we're celebrating. God did this in my life, and so every year I want to come back to it. I want to invite my friends to celebrate with me. I want to invite my family to celebrate with me because I saw God move. Every year they had those rhythms in, our, in their lives. And I think that that's something important for us to grab a hold of, that we need to remember the goodness of God and we need it to be a continual place in our lives of joy and celebration. And we need to remember to return to those places continually. And celebration isn't just about looking at what God's done, but it's about looking at what God's going to do having faith in what God says that he's going to do. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, in, verse, in chapter 25, Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet, and he prophesied, kind of saw a vision of what it was going to look like when Jesus returned, when everything was restored to how God created it, when all that's wrong is made right. And here's what he says in Isaiah 25. The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast for all people, a banquet, the best of meats and the finest of wines. He'll destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. He'll swallow up death forever. He'll wipe away the tears from all faces. He'll remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. They will say, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Isaiah here is telling us that at the moment of ultimate freedom, freedom from evil, from death, from sin, from pain, hurt, from disgrace, from shame, at that moment, you know how God's going to do it? He's going to bring it about in a feast. In a feast. He's going to throw a huge party and then he's going to bring complete and total restoration to our world. That's what Isaiah saw happening. You know, I think sometimes 
for me, I imagine that God likes to work best in a certain type of mood. You know, he likes, he likes dimmed lights. He likes somber. He likes serious, quiet, which may be a little mood music in the background, you know. Uh, little worship music playing. Candles. You know, kind of a calm, quiet place for God to be able to move. But you know what we see so often in the Bible is that God loves to do crazy, amazing things in places of extreme joy, in places of celebration. He throws parties when he works. That's how Jesus likes to do it. He doesn't need Solomon serious necessarily, although he works in those types of moods as well. But he brings freedom and salvation in places of joy. And in fact, we're told that his penultimate act of salvation is going to happen with the biggest party that we've ever seen. With everybody involved and invited. That that's when Jesus is going to choose to return. That's how he's going to come back. And you know, celebration, I think, is kind of like a muscle. You, you work on it. When you, when you learn how to celebrate well the things that God has already done you start to be able to celebrate the things that he's going to do in the future. You're able to grasp a hold of it, to have faith in that. You can look ahead with joy and excitement at how Jesus is going to act, knowing that he's good, instead of just worrying whether or not he'll actually choose to do it. Because you know that he's going to. Because you've celebrated the things that he's done. And that future focus, I think, is a tremendous witness to other people, to people who are outside of the church, because it seems kind of crazy. Jay Pathak is a vineyard pastor in Colorado, and he said, how do we celebrate when there's so much wrong in the world? How is that a sign of the kingdom of God? He said that we celebrate because the life he freely gives always gives us a reason to celebrate. You know, if Facebook, CNN, and Fox News dictate your joy, dictate your ability to celebrate, then you need to reorient it a little bit more as followers of Jesus. Those things cannot dictate our joy. You know what can? You know what should? The death and resurrection of Jesus. That is where we get joy from. That is where we get celebration from. There's awful things going on throughout our world, and we're more aware of it today than we ever have at any other time in history. And there's no way to get around that. And we're not avoiding it, but we're acknowledging the fact that we worship someone, that we trust and have faith in someone who is bigger than all of those awful things that we see going on, that we have faith in his ability to act in our world, even in times of heartache, of tremendous and awful things that are going on, that Jesus is still in control. We celebrate in a world filled with heartache and pain because we have faith that the kingdom of God isn't going to be stopped. Because we believe that Jesus is bringing freedom and wholeness to all of the earth, all of it. And because we believe that our future is filled with the goodness of a loving God. That's what we put our joy in. That's what our celebration is. That's why we can celebrate even when we see so many other things because the kingdom of God does not stop until it brings total freedom and restoration to our world. Amen? That is where your joy is found. Pay attention to Facebook, CNN, whatever. That's fine. But don't put your faith in that. 
Don't let that be the thing that robs your joy completely from you. We celebrate a God who loves us and who is moving. And we celebrate to tell others about who Jesus is and what he's done. Because what I just said should be something that gives us so much joy that we don't want to keep it to ourselves. No one throws a party for themselves, right? Like to be by yourself. No one would do that, right? Say yes, please. <laughs> like the whole purpose of a party is to have other people come. You don't throw, you know, you don't go out, make a ton of food, like, great, I'm by myself. This is awesome. You do lots of other things to be by yourself. I'm an introvert. I totally get that. That's great. But you don't throw a party to be by yourself. You throw a party to be with other people, to celebrate with other people. And celebration in the kingdom of God should always be invitational because it's bringing so much joy to us that we want other people to see what it is that we're celebrating. I love the response of the disciples and of followers of Jesus in the New Testament to Jesus calling them. Look at this one. Luke 5, 27 through 29. It's the calling of Matthew or Levi. He goes by both names, I guess. Here's his reaction to Jesus calling him. Luke 5. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. There's a couple things to notice here, but I think first we want to notice that Levi, or Matthew, however you want to call him, his immediate response to Jesus' invitation. Do you see what it is? It's a two-step process. Step one, he left everything. He obeyed. He said, yes, that's something I want. And he got up and he went. Step two, he threw a huge party and invited everyone he knew to meet Jesus. That was his immediate reaction. He wanted his friends to know Jesus. He wanted to celebrate because he had found something worth celebrating. And you know what? That should be our constant response to Jesus calling us. We should always want to respond with joy, to want other people to be invited into it, because it's something that's worth inviting other people into, because it's changed our lives so much that we want other people to be changed, to know that reality. We've been given a fantastic gift. We've been called by Jesus, and we should want other people to know that, to know that reality. I think sometimes we think of salvation as being between us and God. And while that in certain ways is true, obviously, it is between us and God. I think it should also be between us and everybody else too. It should be something that we want to invite everybody else into. Because although we can't kind of... Uh, in person, invite Jesus in. We can't Skype him in. We can't have him come over to our house in that same way that Matthew did. There's something important that we can celebrate with other people and that they can still engage, that they can still know Jesus, even if he's not face-to-face -face with them in that moment, that's worth celebrating, that we want other people to see. Carl Rayner is a, a theologian, and he said this kind of quirky uh, saying he, he said that salvation's like a bottle of coke you ever heard that one before yeah a little a little different it's better shared with friends it's a little 
I think it's good. I think it gets to what, what I'm getting at here. That salvation isn't something that should just be kept to yourself. It's not a private ordeal. Salvation is something that you want to hand out to all your friends because it's your favorite thing. Jesus is the Coke. He's your favorite thing. Or fill in the, you know, fill in the blank with whatever, you know, coffee, tea, whatever it is. He's that that you want to give to everybody else because it's something that you love and that you want other people to experience. That's who Jesus is. That's what salvation is. When Jesus acts in your life, tell the world. Don't keep it in. Throw a party and invite all kinds of people. Matthew invited his friends. His friends were not good people. Plain and simple. They were tax collectors, which basically, uh, if you write a definition for that, it would be uh, crooks, liars, uh, thieves, great guys, right? Uh, And then he invited other people who would hang out with those types of people. So they were probably similar, right? not, not too much of a difference. These were not social climbers. These were not people who respectable people hung out with. They were kind of the bottom of the barrel, but they were Matthew's friends. And he invited them all to know Jesus, to come and to meet Jesus. And you know, in Jewish culture, when you would invite somebody over to your house for dinner, if they came, being invited over for a meal meant that you were friends. You didn't have over acquaintances for friends. You know, we throw huge parties and we just kind of invite anybody because they knew somebody at some point, right? Back then, if you invited somebody over to your house, it was because you were kind of saying clearly that this was your friend. This was someone that you valued and you wanted to spend time with. So Jesus couldn't get out of just saying like, well, I I just kind of stumbled into it. I didn't know who I was actually, who was going to be at the party. You know, I, I walked around the edges. No. Jesus was saying he's a friend with these people, that that's who he wanted to spend time with. That's a Jesus type of party. I came across two instant, two stories of these types of parties this week uh, that I thought were pretty great. One was a story about the woman named Martha, and uh, she's from Texas. She was in prison for a number of years, and when she was in prison, she met Jesus. She Uh, was given a Bible by the chaplain, and he uh, encouraged her to read some of Paul's letters, which isn't usually where we tell people to start uh, when they're meeting Jesus. But he encouraged her to read that. And so she she opened up to Ephesians 1, verse 1. Anyone know what Paul calls himself in that verse? A prisoner. She said, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and immediately kind of came to know Jesus, knew that that was, that was somebody she could follow. She gets out, which is good, and she's on parole and probation, starts going to a church, and at the end of her parole period, the church decides to throw her a huge party to celebrate her freedom. They threw her a, a, a complete total freedom party for Martha. The pastor said that it was the, the most Jesus type of party that he could have thrown. And in that moment, I think Martha knew some important things. She knew that she was known. She knew that she was loved. And I think it's really important that she knew this last part. She knew that she was worthy of being celebrated, that that was worth it, that people wanted to throw parties for her, that she was valued in that way. One more story, also down in Texas, 
oddly enough. I didn't search parties in Texas, but they must know how to throw good parties, I guess. A woman started a nonprofit called uh, the Birthday Party Project about five years ago. And her whole thought was, I want to throw a party for uh, birthday parties for homeless kids. So she started doing it. She threw the first one for 11 homeless kids at a shelter, had like 60 other kids that were there. I know that that little girl is pretty adorable. Uh, 60 other kids there to celebrate. Over the past five years, she's thrown 4,500 parties in different states for homeless kids. Each kid gets uh, a gift card, some art supplies, and a cake or cupcakes, whichever one they want, that has their name on it that says happy birthday. Every time. She throws these parties usually at shelters for abused or abandoned kids, homeless kids. And in those parties, I think she does something really powerful. She shows each and every one of these kids that they're loved, that they're known, and maybe for the first time in their lives that they're worthy of being celebrated. And I think there is something that is so much like Jesus in that action. Jesus did a darn good job of showing people that they were worthy of being celebrated. He took time out. He spent time with people who no one else would spend time with. He loved on them, and he said, you're worth it. I want to do this with you. As we come to a close, I want to encourage us to throw Jesus types of parties. Throw celebrations that show who Jesus is to the world, to everyone else. Make them big. Make them outlandish. Celebrate people that no one else would want to celebrate and celebrate people who other people would want to celebrate. Celebrate everybody. This is our invitation as followers of Jesus. Make this a part of what it means to follow Jesus. Celebrate. Throw parties. Celebrate what God has done. Celebrate what God's going to do, what you're asking him to do in the future. Celebrate with the often forgotten, with the neglected, with the people who no one else wants to celebrate, who maybe have never been celebrated in their lives. Ask the Holy Spirit who he's calling you to celebrate and to celebrate with. Be intentional about this, because I think that there's something that Jesus wants to do in these. And recognize with that the sacred part of this, that this is important, that celebration isn't just something that we do on the side, but that it's a necessary part of following Jesus, celebrating who he is, what he's done, what he's going to do, and the people that he loves is our calling as followers of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. I want to invite the worship team back up. You know, I would love for our church to be known as a church that throws parties. Does anybody else want that one? I would love it if, yeah, if I heard people out in the community talking about Vineyard Hopkinton and telling stories of the parties that we've thrown. So let's do it, guys. Let's throw parties. Be intentional about this. Pray about it. Look around. Who don't you know? Who haven't you spent time with here? Who has, something, some, who has had something happen that's worth celebrating that you haven't celebrated with them about? Throw a party, invite them over, have them over for dinner. Show that you're friends, not just acquaintances. Do something intentional with each other. And when God acts in your life, throw big parties. 
invite others in to see what God's doing. Let's hear stories of relationships being deepened, of new relationships being started, of people being loved and celebrated, of people being known that they're worth being celebrated in this area. Amen? You want to stand with me? Brian and the team are going to lead us in a few songs, but I thought I'd pray. Start us off if that's okay. Holy Spirit, we just, again, we invite you to come even more, Holy Spirit. I just pray that as we worship this morning, that you will really deeply fill us with joy, uh, that you'll fill us with a desire to celebrate, a desire to celebrate what it is that you've done, a desire to celebrate what it is that you're going to do in our lives. Let us be so aware of you moving that we can't wait to take time to remember and to celebrate what it is that you've done. Just pray for your spirit to come and to be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.